Wednesday, June 27th, 2012. I'm Chris O'Brien, and it's time for the inaugural episode of my podcast. Go out your front door, cross the street, walk down down to the intersection of Reality Boulevard and Optimism Way, and you might find yourself standing under a large sycamore tree whose branches hang over Kobe's Corner. Some of you might be going, inaugural? You've done several podcasts already, Kobe. I have the Media Fire page bookmarked. I actually even liked a few of them. What's this new stuff? I mean, this is America, and in this country, we fear change. Well, if DC Comics can just snap their fingers, wipe out several universes worth of continuity on a whim, and replace it with a gay Green Lantern, then I can take this very opportunity to reboot my podcast, especially now that it's going to be posted on iTunes. Much like Microsoft, Kobe is following Apple's lead and putting my podcast up on on iTunes. YouTube, that would be a blast. Putting my podcast up on iTunes for the entire world to criticize. And a shout out to the lovely lady who showed me how to post my podcast on iTunes, Maggie of the Comic Book Podcast. Wow, this is just great television. (laughs) Oh, I really should edit this stuff out, but you know what? I need more towards Bill O'Reilly. Screw it. Let's do it live. A shout-out to the lovely lady who showed me how to post my podcast on iTunes, Maggie, of the comic book podcast, Kittens in a Blender, which you can also find and subscribe to on iTunes. Now, for those of you who managed to make it through the first 30 seconds of this, well, I'm not hooked, so I'm turning off the podcast portion of the show. Let me introduce myself. My name is Chris O'Brien. A lot of people call me Kobe. I like to talk about things. Politics, society, pop culture, video games, wrestling... Anything that's on my mind and the general consciousness of America. My friends always kept suggesting I do a podcast. Now, whether or not they were serious or just trying to humor me, here I am. So why should you give me a listen? Can't give you an honest answer, folks. Uh, My voice, as you can hear, ain't exactly liquid gold. Uh, I tend to get a little ranty and stumble over my words. And you're about to feel your blood pressure shoot up as I admit freely that I'm a moderate Republican. A very rare breed nowadays. And I'm also not very good at actually doing and producing a podcast, especially the editing work. So this is a a work in progress for me, uh, which might make it a work in progress for you, the listener, too. Now, maybe I'll get better at editing and working out the kinks. Maybe I'll find my voice and style of speaking, or maybe I'll just sit here for a while talking to myself and feeling somewhat important. All I can do is make the 15 minutes or so you listen to worth your time. So with all that rigmarole out of the way, let's get started. Now, some of you might be saying, wow, that self-criticism and self-depreciation in the introduction got really old really fast. It's like a Woody Allen movie, but with much less New York intellectualism. It really shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, though. Now, we all live in a country where, and for some reason I do have any foreign listeners, this may or may not apply to your sovereign state, choice is yours, that suffers from a chronic low self-esteem. Somewhere along the way, America went from, we wear combat boots and stomp loudly, to... Curled up on the couch, watching afternoon television and not answering the phone in case it's a collection agency, China. You can blame the Bush years, you can blame the Obama administration, you can point the finger at the downturn of the American economy, or you can agree with me that the decline in American confidence is directly tied to the number of Golden Corral commercials that have appeared on television. I mean, let me tell you, if I ever took my father to Golden Corral for Father's Day, he'd kick my ass right there in the parking lot for dragging my ass across the street to the Perkins. Now, we stuff our faces with comfort food, we drown ourselves with alcohol, and we chew antidepressants like they were Reese's Pieces. 
We look in the mirror, feel ugly, say we're going to exercise. And then when we don't exercise, we feel ugly. And the whole cycle repeats itself, usually lubricated with beer and butter to make sure that process goes smoothly. At work, someone else gets to praise and you sit there and wonder, what the hell am I doing here? At school, that paper you poured long nights and tons of research into pulls a B plus, and you're sitting there panicking about getting into a good college. Or during a game of Dungeons and Dragons, you forget to check the door for wires, you open it, you set off a bomb that's inside. Classic rookie mistake, and you kick yourself because well, you're a better player than that. America has a self-inflicted case of stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. If someone could somehow kick themselves in their own crotch, that would be a much better metaphor. There was a study done that I read about on the internet, and if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. It said one bad comment or one bad moment needs at least ten good counterpart moments to balance it out. But when those good moments come, instead of being appreciated and noticed, treasured, banked away in our subconscious use, banked away for our subconscious to feel... <clears throat> but those good moments are either ignored, taken in stride... <laughs> It's kind of funny, when I stumble over my words, I have a tendency to um, stop, go back, and um, kind of make a duck motion with my hands to kind of walk me through everything. Didn't quite work right there, but you know what? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. I'm not going to hit myself. I'm going to keep going. But those good moments are either ignored or taken in stride instead of being noticed, treasured, and banked when or subconscious for future use. Those bad moments, however, slam their symbols together and scream, Look at me! Look at me! Look at me! Like a four-year-old child, or even worse, DJ Paris Hilton. DJ Paris Hilton. Man, that must be nice. I mean, it, how hard... I mean, I would imagine it's pretty difficult to be a DJ in any capacity, even if you're just working at some easy listening AM station. She's out there in Paris just spinning away, and oh my god, it's horrible. I sat there listening to myself... When does the bass drop? When does the bass drop? When does the bass drop? By which I meant, when does that bass drop on her head? No matter how hard we try, there's that little drummer boy just marching and banging away for hours and hours on end like Neil Peart. And each time he hits, hits that bass pedal, you find yourself questioning the life choices that have brought you to that particular moment. I swear, our conscious brain does more to screw with us than anything else except for our un subconscious mind. What would think the various portions of your brain would work together to provide a happy, harmonious existence? Frontal lobe and cerebral cortex holding hands and skipping through the fields of dopamine receptors, doing their best to make sure nothing bothers you, and allowing you to be productive and fulfill your goals and wishes with a minimum of worry. Instead, your subconscious lies in wait, just underneath your temporal lobe, peeking out as you're going to sleep, just waiting for your conscious mind to decide to stop you from thinking and worrying as you toss and turn in bed. And as soon as you fall asleep, your conscious tags out like Ricky Morton, and here comes Robert Gibson like a house of fire. Instead of giving you pleasant dreams like sitting on a warm beach somewhere, or running into that hot guy or girl you saw at the gym, you're late for a college final in a class you never attended all semester, and if you fail it, you'll never get your diploma. Or you're presenting this big presentation to a huge conference and find yourself suffering from a complete and utter lack of clothing. Or, my personal favorite, zombies. Now, your subconscious is part of your brain's defragmentation process, kind of putting your things in order after a tough day. But instead of gently lapping waves and the soothing sounds of rain, this whole process happens to howls of laughter from a room of your professional peers as you stand up there with nothing more than God gave you at birth. 
<laughs> the worst is that's not even the worst thing your subconscious can do to you. It's when it teases you. You, you know what I mean? <clears throat> that type of dream involving you, that cute manager who asks you to stay after hours for a performance review, involving new and interesting ways to use the office copy machine. Right when it gets good, and we all know that moment, you're staring at your bedroom ceiling. And even if you roll right over and try to go right back into the dream, instead of picking up right where you left off, you're somewhere else. You know, you wake up, fall right back asleep, and instead of that cute office manager, zombies. Breaking down your office door, and, well, they want to know why you haven't paid your back taxes, as well as trying to gouge your tasty flesh. Nightmares, it sucks. Like, you wake up, you try not to go back to your nightmare, but there you go. As soon as you fall back into it. I think the ultimate thing your subconscious can really do to screw with you, you're awake, you're starting your day, maybe even you're out the door to go to work, and suddenly your alarm is going off, and the cat is clawing at your exposed foot because alarm means feedings. And now you really don't want to get out of bed. I mean, there was such a point where my life was such a mess, my subconscious would just shut down during the entire night and wake me up right before my alarm went off. Didn't matter when I was supposed to get up. My alarm was set for 6 a.m., I'd wake up at 5.58. 4.30 a.m., 4.24. 5.45 p.m. in the afternoon, 5.54 p.m. The minutes between when you wake up and when your alarm goes off, those are the worst possible moments. If you're asleep and your alarm goes off, you're jolted, you're jolted awake, and your body's nervous system tenses for a moment. It's a jump start. It's enough to get your body going and get you to drag your carcass out of bed. When you lie there, doing everything you can not to get out of bed, your alarm clock isn't a spark of life. It's an executioner waiting to drop the axe. I figured out the best way to get back to my subconscious, though. Try putting on the door's greatest hits before you go to bed, because nothing... My subconscious cannot come up with can compare to what Jim Morrison sings about. Lizard King beats my brain any day of the week. Now, I look at self-esteem like this. You have your daily counter and you have your life counter. You're not going to have the perfect day. Things will not go smooth. There's going to be speed bumps, detours, and every now and then a rear-end collision. Now, there's a theory I've started subscribing to in recent weeks that has actually done me a world of good. Life is 90% things you can control and 10% things you can't control. Maybe that 90% that 10% is a little optimistic, but really think about it. You can control how someone drives or if the bank teller is having a bad day or someone's your office is returning your emails. But what you can take control over are the reactions to those things. Getting mad because someone cut you off and driving more aggressively isn't going to magically punish the other driver. It's going to increase your risk at getting into a car accident. Now, getting upset with your coworker, or we could actually walk over to them and go, hey, why haven't you responded? That might cause you to avoid feeling like a massive prick when you find out they've been on the phone all morning because their cousin has been in a car accident. If you focus on the good decisions, the little things you can handle, the, the situations you can control, at the end of the day, if your daily counter is in the black, your life counter... Look at it this way. I mean, sure, you might have to stretch your paycheck until it screams, and often enough, there's too much month at the end of your money, but you look at your savings and your 401k and all that money you keep putting away for the long term, even if you end your month with a $1.17 in your checking account, which has happened to me once or twice, but you still have 150 extra bucks in your savings account, you're ahead of the game. 
Self-esteem works the exact same way. If you have six good days during the week and one lousy day, that's six to one. That's almost as good as record as the Anaheim Angels have over the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, not too shabby. Daily life is a tug-of-war between the brain and the heart. The heart says, dude, let's go. We've got stuff to do. Let's go, go, go. And the brain goes, man, it's 6 p.m. We're stuck in I-95 traffic. Let's just go home and sit in front of the TV. Like I said earlier, your brain is a bastard and often your own worst enemy. We're tired. We're drained. Compressed schedules and appointments. But when that half hour comes that we've set aside to go, I will exercise, or when we go, I will not buy something from Amazon, I will not give all my money to Steam during all their gaming sales, our brain starts rationalizing all those reasons why I take the opposite route. 23 hours and 30 minutes of the day, I'm going to do this, it's going to be awesome! 30 minutes of the day, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, yesterday, you said tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, and we find ourselves tomorrowing once again, we beat ourselves up so much when we're capable of so much more. The cycle continues, but we have our reasons. We're exhausted, we're brain dead, we're burned out, you know? Tell someone who lost a leg in a rack you can't do squats because your legs are a little sore, and pray they don't drag you behind a beating and beat you senseless, because they would do anything to have two sore legs. little harsh, but it's the truth. I mean... Burned out is just another way of saying the mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, or in this case, I'm willing, but my brain is a complete and utter bastard. We're all capable of taking 90 minutes a week out of 10,080 minutes during that week to exercise or learn a new process or procedure for work or, or sit down on a Saturday morning and get some writing done. I have a very good friend. He works long hours. His commute is like an hour and a half each way on the train. He spends every other weekend a month on call with the Blackberry of Doom, and I've overheard some of his customers. Without fail for the past four years, he has taken Saturday mornings to go to the nearby Panera Bread, plug in his laptop, and write. He's been working on a novel, but he has other stuff. He's done essays. He's done blog posts. Every Saturday, without fail, he goes. Uh, He's written a novel. He has written a novel, and he's currently shopping it around four hours out of the week for the past four years. And he's done what so many people have said they've always wanted to do. Put that great idea down on paper and just write a book. Now, it took a long period of time, longer than the instant success we all hope and pray for. But the four hours when those aspiring offers dream about their book, or spend their time world-building about how exactly their laser guns and mecha work, instead of writing character interactions and dialogue, It was the same four hours my friend spent putting proverbial pen to paper. Maybe one page, maybe ten, maybe thirty. I'm not counting editing or rewrites. I'm sure there have been times where he's wanted to sleep in, or family's been over, or he's had chores or errands, or he's just gone, screw it. But the point? He said he was going to do it. He went ahead and did it. Life is hard. And we spend too much time beating ourselves up when we screw up. I think it's time for us to kind of go, I can do this. Uh, to stop getting frustrated when one thing out of ten fails to go our way. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's something my dad told me a long time ago, and you might have seen the video that's going around uh, about the commencement speech. Not every human being is special. Reality shoots holes in that theory every day. There, there is no, we're automatically special. I mean, we're alive, and every life is precious, um, and it should be treated with respect, but... We're not all going to cure cancer. We're not all going to be Zuckerberg or Gates. 
What each and every one of us has, though, is the ability to be special. Uh, to do at least one great thing in their lives. It could be something like being an, winning an Academy Award, being the English teacher to the next great American writer, or even just being an inspiration to someone else in some capacity, or, or heck, even just you know dropping 100, 150 pounds, you know, just doing something that you shouldn't be able to do. You go ahead and do it. And you get there by focusing on the good things, doing what we can to avoid and mitigate the bad. When it comes to your own self-worth, forget the haters. Some people just build themselves up by shooting other people down. And some people shoot themselves down before other people can. And, and that's, that's just self-criticism at its finest. You are the sole arbiter of your own worth. You make the call. You make the decisions. You decide what you want to put into life and what you want to get out of it. No one else does. No matter what they do to get you down, no matter what they throw at you, no one, no one is taller than the last man standing. And that includes that bastard brain of yours. If all else fails, remember this one thing. There's nothing else, nothing else in America that is more embarrassing than watching professional wrestling. You could have the cleanest, most beautiful garden in the neighborhood, a devoted spouse, devoted spouse, devout or devoted, three lovely kids, a well-paying job, a deep sense of personal satisfaction. But if someone finds out you're watching professional wrestling, oh, the shame will start. You could be caught watching an all-day marathon of 16 and pregnant. Hell, you could be on 16 and pregnant. But if someone else walks into the room and you're watching Monday Night Raw, there is just no coming back from that. And they will walk in at the worst possible time. You could have just watched CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler tear the house down. You could have just watched Zack Ryder beat up Damian Sandow. You might have seen AJ going crazy over Kane. They won't see these segments. They will walk in at that exact same moment where John Cena is pouring barbecue sauce over a helpless commentator, turn and go, you watch this while silently judging you. If that happens, just soak in the shame and remind yourself that it's least is not toddlers and tiaras. This is Kobe, reminding you as always, good things come to those who have faith in themselves.